You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Welcome back, friends. Please make sure your pod seats and tray tables are in their upright and locked position. The airlock has been sealed and docking clamps have been released for an on-time departure to the Functional Nerdverse. So... Welcome back, Patrick. I don't know why I'm welcoming you back. Like, this wasn't your podcast first. Like, I'm kind of in your house, you know, just sort of a long-term house guest going on here. How are things? Things are well. Things are things are going okay. It's it's Labor Day weekend as we're recording. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. considering what to what to put on the smoker. Um, I, I I have I've had my guitar for a couple of years now. The the latest one. Like, I have multiple yeah. guitars, but it's right. it's yeah. odd for me to have a guitar that actually needs a battery. Ooh. And my my current acoustic electric guitar needs a battery because it has a little tuner thing in the side. And oh, okay, it's very. Fancy. I had forgotten that nine volt batteries existed. Uh, most of us only have a relationship with them like once a year to every six months when things start chirping at us and they make us mad. Yeah. Yeah, and my brother used to torture me because he'd go check this for me and stick it on my tongue. <laughs> when I was uh, a kid, family, yeah, yeah, that was. I didn't have to clarify when I was a kid, and he was a little bit right, me. right, yeah, yeah, complex family relationships. We don't, sure. you know, know anything about that. Hey, complex family relationships. Uh, that's a segue, huh? We got Jacqueline Carey here to talk to us about uh, the August first recent release of Cushiel's Servant, which is a continuation of the Cushiel's Legacy series. So, hey, welcome aboard, Jacqueline. It's great to have you. Hey, thank you so much for having me here. Talk about gigantic, long-running, twisted family stories with a side of, you know, with a side of angelic tattoo parlor sort of action going on, too. All right. So I feel like, on the one hand, you couldn't be a fan of a podcast like this, which has itself existed for, God, is this like 13 or 14 years? How long? I don't know. Uh, for a number, it has existed for a for a dual it, it digit. It can't be that long. Of- it can't be that long because I remember the '80s and the '80s were only like five years ago. So right, okay. So it's existed for a plurality of years, um, as it were. And uh, in that period of time, of course, you before us were writing your Kushiel books. Um, they've been around for quite some time. The series kind of got grounded in the lore of fantasy and science fiction in 2001. But I sort of feel like there's still people who would go, Kushiel what? And need a little bit of a catch up here. So, okay, this is a completely unfair challenge. You, as an author of your, your own series, someone's like, what's the deal with your alternative history fantasy series here? Is there even an elevator pitch that you find useful at this stage? Uh, you know, there still isn't. 20 some years after the fact, there's kind of too much in there right (laughs) something's always squeezing out the side Mm -hmm. Uh, with the marketing materials for the re-release of the original trilogy i was quite discovered or shocked to discover oh i'm now a cult fan favorite (laughs) both tells you hey awesome but also we kind of thought you'd be more famous than you are. <laughs> and I think some of it is the difficulty of doing an elevator pitch for something that you're like, well, yes, it's set in an alternate medieval Provence and it's high fantasy. 
It's very sexy. Okay. The the protagonist is a courtesan who is masochistic, but divinely ordained. So, and at that point you've already lost some people and other people are going, tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) It's a wonderful filtration mechanism for finding your audience though. (laughs) Most, most people I don't think have such a sort of efficient approach for it to be like, okay, here we go. They're just like, you know, angels and sparkly. And we're like, Oh, sparkly angels. This is fine. You're like, no, slightly different, slightly different plan here. So I I guess the cousin of that question, at least in my mind, is at this stage in writing and continuing the saga of this world and the characters that are in it, why, what keeps bringing you back to it that is exciting and things that you you keep wanting to explore? Well, this was really um, a return to the very beginning. And it was something I never planned on doing, but about seven years ago, um, I was given the challenge of writing a sonnet for a nonprofit organization's fundraiser. And I pulled my readers and they said, okay, we'd love you to write a sonnet from the perspective of Jocelyn to Fedra, from my male uh, protagonist to the heroine of the story. I'm like, all right. So challenge accepted. I wrote an Elizabethan <laughs> sonnet, you know, just as one does. Yeah, rolling out Uh, of bed. Yep. And it was the first time I'd really put myself squarely in this character's head. (laughs) And there's such a difference in writing the first person point of view between looking through somebody's eyes and looking at them. And that was the first time that my muse kind of said, ooh, I like (laughs) it here. I I want to tell his version. Let's hang out for more. Like, more. Well, that's, that's a cheap, tawdry, literary gimmick. Let's not do that. Mm-hmm. Seven years later, still getting this, <laughs> I want to tell the story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was actually really fascinating to go back so long after having written it and to revisit it and from the point of view of a character who far from being a divinely ordained masochist is sworn to chastity mm-hmm. and his faith is genuine. So I, for, for me, that raises a, the question of if you find yourself, you're having to, you probably had to go back and reread some of your own writing uh, from the past to kind of make oh, sure that you're, yeah, like you, that you can keep track of your own threads. I mean, this is a, a sprawling, multi-millennial narrative that you're capturing here with these characters that are, you know, either immortal or semi-immortal. So they've, they've got a lot of mileage to cover uh, in the course of their story. No, no immortals, really. No. Yeah, not, not, <laughs> not for this one. Um, but uh, in, in any case, you've got to kind of reorient yourself to that. Did you feel a little bit like you were in rereading your own work, like you were reading a work written by someone else? Did it feel entirely familiar did you cringe? Oh, um, <laughs> no, the cringe. It's inevitable. I, I think you cannot revisit 
early work without something making you cringe. Yeah. And I mean, for me, I'm like, what? Were you getting paid by the semicolon? (laughs) (laughs) So many semicolons. (laughs) Um, But I did have to do a pretty close reading Mm -hmm. to make sure I was aligned beat by beat with the storyline. Um, it also enabled us to play a game around the household, which we called Does Jocelyn Give a Damn? <laughs> Throw out it's like couture. No, Jocelyn does not give a damn. And suddenly there go pages and pages of description of sumptuous brocades and shimmering silks and the specific cut and drape of various garments. Whatever. Yeah. Gone. That's actually a really fun voice building technique and perspective building technique. Like what are the things that I would normally dress up a narration with, but I'm in the head of this character. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm speaking through their perspective. Huh. I love that. I love that. One, one really of the things cool. that I, I like about, uh, and, and you don't see it necessarily too often, but when you do, I like it is, is when you have two characters in the scene and you're getting one's pr- point of view and then you get the other one's point of view and you're in their head and it's completely different. Like they, they see the same thing happening, but they both mm-hmm. come at it from completely different perspectives and different things cause them to, to go, Oh, you know, and like they focus on, I just love that stuff. It just, it just shows that the writer is taking the time to actually, you know, build up that other character and give them their own voice and give them their own uh, I kind of almost want to say agency when when they're looking at it, like yeah, they're they're just they're, they're thoroughly conceptualized as a yes. three dimensional human being. Even if you're not getting access to all of that, yes, those are those. Yes, those are wonderfully intelligent writer words that could not come into my brain at this moment. <laughs> so I appreciate that. <laughs> Jack was on her A game. She's all warmed up here. It's good. <laughs> Uh, it's earlier for you. It's fine. You're still working on like the second cup of coffee. So <laughs> mountain time is just working against you. There you so. go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't fully wake up till 11 a.m. So I was this just the- coming online. Oh, my gosh. Like that. I, we've talked about this like a little bit before in the podcast, like the just the fundamental differences and like how as individuals, you know, our, whoever our guest is and Patrick and myself and our lives are shaped. Um, but I, I have to be a morning person because if I'm not, I don't get to do anything for myself. So everything that I choose to do for me, I have to sort of cram between the hours of 4.30 and 6.30 a.m. because that's before anyone needs me. And if it, if it's six thirty or later, it's like too late. My day has been mortgaged off to to other people's uses. So, um, yeah, eleven a.m. Man, one of these days, one of these days, the kids will be out of the house. It'll be great. I'm not saying <laughs> I sleep until eleven a.m. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you, could, you could sleep until six, but just do whatever you you want in a very low key way until eleven a.m. And then My the telegram reaches the brain to be like, yeah. "No, we're going to do things now." My partner will gently move me around the kitchen to get me out of the way <laughs> at seven something a.m. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, ever since I got the puppy, I'm I'm up at five a.m. because he's up at five a.m. Going, hey, 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 I'd really like to pee now. 
You got a choice, buddy. It's going to be the carpet <laughs> or the lawn. You make the call. Yeah, you've, you've been a reformed man. Ronan, oh, uh, Ronan has reshaped you in his image. Yeah, but I'm exhausted all the time now, so. Well, such is the way. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Oh, I can just see it now. Him barking at everybody. Constantly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have any critters that keep you company in your in your exploits, Jacqueline? Right now, uh, just one cat who functions as both cat, dog, and guardian of the household. Oh, this is a very cool. Yeah. An extremely accomplished cat. Yeah. You know, there are some animals that you just, you have a connection with. Mm-hmm. I've had it with dogs before. I've, this is the first time I've had it with a cat where you just look at each other and you're like, yeah. Yeah, I got you. I'll drive the getaway car. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So, I I mean, I guess hopefully the cat's not driving the getaway car because thumb things. But then again, I don't know. There's an old Saturday Night Live tunes is the driving cat thing. So (laughs) as long as you get before – make sure there's no cliffs or quarries or anything on on the route away from the bank, we're good to go. (laughs) No worries. (laughs) My mother loved that skit. Yeah, it was um, my my mother-in-law and father-in-law also really imprinted on that such that whenever um, my my husband's grandparents lived in a town called South Holland, which is one of the many suburbs of Chicago, and when they were alive, we would, you know, take trips to see them and it would involve traveling across a big country. big bridge that went over a quarry and anytime we would go over it his parents would be like says no and they like it was the funniest thing in the world every um, time every time like we'd never heard it before <laughs> i mean it's fine i mean we, we we live in nerddom here we are used to being in spaces where people repeat the same in jokes ad infinitum and we're all to be like yes yep to infinity and beyond beyond sure. yep Exactly. Yes. So I understand that you were actually you've you've just kind of completed some book touring things for Cushiel uh, Servant. Where have you been? Uh, let's see. I called it the Seven Eleven tour because uh, <laughs> <laughs> seven cities in eleven days. Oh wow! Um, and starting in Michigan in Grand Rapids, and then St. Louis, Scottsdale, Arizona, San Diego. L.A., Portland, Seattle. and then Okay, the last few of them are at least sort of in the same geographic conversation. But, yeah. but wow, there's a big jump from St. Louis to the everywhere else yeah. after that. <laughs> oh, yes. wow. Scottsdale has a great bookstore called The Poison Pen that is down oh, in the um, Yeah, Kevin Hearn talks about bookstore, it, too. And she mm-hmm. kindly agreed to come converse with me so that was a fun event in which she shared numerous euphemisms from a book she'd encountered on sex terms and genitalia. I think you, you probably get more of that than people people probably have a perception of you wanting more of that than maybe you do I, that would be my I guess. So. Really, once you try <laughs> mixing it up, it starts. It, it goes off the rails fast. You shouldn't really notice. Mm-hmm. 
yeah verbiage unless it's meant to have an impact yeah yeah to make you giggle Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) she did bust out the term yogurt launcher that's all i'm saying that is literally a term i've never encountered before and i will never forget it yeah (laughs) please don't explain it Please don't explain it. No, no, we're not going to. We are we are already uh, rated E for explicit, and you know, just in case we hadn't had Chuck Wendig on recently enough to to reify that as earned, we're we're down but, again. So that's good. But, what I'm trying to figure out is, I you know, obviously you have a publicist, and the publicist was, was probably helping with this tour. And why does your publicist hate you so much that they sent you to Phoenix in the summertime? It was 115 degrees. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. They were actually having a heat wave. That's right, because this was like three weeks ago when it was yeah. like Phoenix is the murder capital of of climate change. Yes. Lord. That was now, exactly now. when I was there. <laughs> but I will say it was um, the one hotel that had a cool, hip, swanky swimming pool. And I had brought a bathing suit just in case. Usually yeah. you never use them. Mm-hmm. And I was, I got off that plane. I'm like, oh, I'm getting in that pool. <laughs> I don't care how tired I am after the event. Mm-hmm. It's happening. Yeah. It's, it's, it it's crazy. Cool. It's crazy how blue the sky is in Phoenix. It really is. It, 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 if you've never been, Tracy, it's a trip. But, but I, I will say it's like, if, if you were in Michigan in the wintertime mm-hmm. and your publicist said, hey, do you want to go to Phoenix for a book thing? Be like, yeah, heck yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it would get you away from snow and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, Ooh. middle of summer. No. I, I've been to Tempe <laughs> before. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, is. It uh, a great event, so. Well, there you go. Fantastic. Glad the 7-Eleven paid off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it should have like kind of questionable that addictive nachos served at all of the, the sort of iterations of I mean it wouldn't be a food stuff that would be at all in keeping with the feel of the of the story universe, but yeah. Neither is the kind of food you eat on the road. So No. No. Well, now having said that, uh Phoenix does have a chain that does one of the uh better Chicago style pizzas outside of Chicago. Uh, and I don't mean that the pan I'm talking about the tavern thin cut in squares. Oh, okay. uh, Gen- okay. Gennaro's Gennaro's I think is the name. Cause I had that when I was there. And then again, when I was in um, Sedona, cause they have, they're in Sedona as well. Well, okay. Good pizza. Good pizza. <laughs> We'll bear that in mind for our next trip to Arizona. <laughs> they send me back. Somehow 115 degrees pizza is not exactly yeah. what's in the forefront have, of your mind. Right, yeah. They have air conditioning? Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking it's more like salad and avocado toast at that point. Or, yeah, Maybe a meals are, yeah. Right, right. So I have to imagine that at, at, at your, in your book tours and in your signing events, your appearances at cons and things like that, um, you've signed a billion books and things, but there have to be people who have shown you like their fan art or their fan crafts or, or things like that too. And I mean, I, maybe I'm making a jump here that oh, isn't no, earned, but, um, and or, I'm kind of there, interested. I was gonna say, or they're like an, angelic tattoos or something. And... That also, 
Well, or maybe that's a supernatural I, thing. When I wrote this um, in the end of the 1990s, because it sold in yeah. at the end of 98, yeah. uh, did not come out until 2001 because they were trying to figure out how to handle this Right. ball of many things <laughs> you know somebody somewhere someday is going to get the tattoo that is featured in this and this mm-hmm. was before the vast ocean of tattoos that has since swept to our shores mm-hmm. and um, I think I was in Madison Wisconsin when I saw the very first one um, which was a small version of the mark on a shoulder. Yeah. And I was still working a day job when somebody sent me the first full back piece. Oh, wow. I remember because I had this day job working, running the art department for, um, it was a Christian college. <laughs> quite conservative. Not the art department itself, but overall right and this picture's loading slowly because it's 2002 <laughs> and i realize as it gets down to the small of his back that it's not, it's not done yet <laughs> it is not done it had tendrils curving all the way around his buttocks like, wow that is quite the tattoo well, in 2002, right they, they didn't yeah. have the ability to mirror our screens the way that they can now. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to imagine that there's some fan art that's kind of uh, blown your metaphorical wig back uh, at some point where we're either in the sense of like the detail or the kind of vision that you're seeing of your own characters realized through someone else's skill or reinterpreted in some way through them. Yeah. yeah um not I, there's nothing that's really leaping to mind right, yeah um my favorite art that's ever been done was for the special editions subterranean press uh commissioned with art they always do such amazing work yeah they do yeah yeah i mean that's why i think i think subterranean press's default model if i remember correctly is is limited print runs of everything I think isn't everything sort of like we'll make a thousand copies or 500 or whatever it is. And that's it. Um, Yeah. 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 Wow. What's the other one? The folio society, I think also does that. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. They, and they they tend to, they tend to just do gorgeous, gorgeous books. And uh, yeah. So it doesn't surprise me that that would be the one that stands out in your mind because those tend to be gorgeous. Currently in discussion with um, Sean Speakman from the Signed Page, who also has Grim Oak Press, and mm-hmm. he's done a limited edition of one of my books, and we're talking about doing the original Kushiel trilogy as well. Nice. Oh wow! Yet more cool new art, exciting <laughs> possibility. All of the readers' collectors' impulses going, damn you, Jacqueline, and also, ooh. <laughs> like, like, I didn't go looking for the opportunity. But on the other hand, like, how does one say no? Yeah. Too much beautiful art. Mm. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you there for sure. 
I mean, it's exciting to get to see someone create something that uh, has sort of taken off and sort of grabbed a community, become, to borrow your publicist language, a sort of cult classic. Um, I don't know. Do you ever feel like you're at the center of a cult you didn't intend to start? <laughs> um, very or did you intend to start it? <laughs> I did not. You know, one of the things that was really cool about my 7-Eleven tour, I had so many bookstore owners, um, well, at least, say, four out of the seven, uh, come up to me and say, oh, my God, your fans are so nice. Oh, we're just hanging out and talking with each other. And there's a huge range of, you know, age, gender, race. Mm-hmm. It's just a real, so wonderful to get the chance after having not been out there since before the pandemic to connect with people. And if they want more That's beautiful awesome. art, I'm all for bringing it. <laughs> <laughs> twist my arm yeah no it's definitely a, it's it is a, a world creation that has grabbed people from sort of all over the place i in my day job i teach uh speculative fiction at a high school for gifted kids and um one of the things i, I lead in the class with and give the students an opportunity to do is write a little paper where they talk about you know it's called the what kind of a geek am i paper like what what gets you excited? Like what kind of nerdy stuff are you into? Um, and that allows me to kind of tailor the class a little bit. And there is every single year, cause I usually teach between like 50 and 80 students across multiple sections, this class, every single year, there's at least one kid who's like, I really love the Cushiel books. Will we be reading a Cushiel book in this class? And I'm like, sweetheart, no, no, we won't be reading a Cushiel book in this class, but bless your heart for, for being a believer. Um, yeah, but you could read Cassiel's Servant. Oh, okay. Yeah. You have a point there. You have a point there. I, so. I am, That is one of the reasons that I chose to go with the muse and say, yeah, let's do this. Because being known for having written something that has such an erotic component, um, I was actually really excited to... Mm write a version which does not contain the edgier elements. I mean, they're present, they're in, they're woven into the setting, but in terms of the material itself, um, no, it does not have. (laughs) Well, you you twist Jacqueline Carey's arm with what? More beautiful art? Okay, fine, if I must. Twist my arm with what? More gorgeous books to teach? Well, if I must. So <laughs> I'm just saying you could. I mean, there's there's departmental money in the budget for ordering more books. So, you know, that's a thing that could maybe be. I have a personal rule um, that I don't teach anything that, that I'm not super excited to teach and don't myself love because I feel like otherwise I'm kind of trying to scam the kids into investing in something where I'm not there with them on it. Um, and so that, that would be, that would follow my rules. So there we go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, okay, cool. Now that we've all named the things that we sure wouldn't mind more of, it feels like picks of the week time. We wouldn't mind more of that either. Picks of the week. So, Patrick, what's your pick? Tracy, I have a pick. 
<laughs> so exci- much excite, such wow. <clears throat> you know, it, I, I may have picked this before, and I know that uh, Todd in our patron group keeps picking this, um, but it's it's the revival of Justified over on FXX or FX oh, or whatever many X's they have these days. Yeah, lots of X's. Um, boy, everybody's just like focused on X's, XXX all the time. Uh, you work, you know, at Xavier School for Gifted Children teaching X Men. But anyway, yes, that's, um, yeah. Justified City Primeval is the revival mm-hmm. series with uh, Timothy Oliphant uh, returning as Raylan Gibbons. Uh, it's it's a very good show. I like it. And one of the things that I like about it, uh, it is over now, so you could stream all the episodes on Hulu if you wanted to. But one of the things that I like about it is the original series was about uh, Raylan having like being forced to go home to Kentucky, to Harlan County, where he knows everybody and everybody knows him. And he's sort of the the one that everyone is leaning on in the marshal's office uh, mm-hmm. to like get them into the certain hills and the certain hollers and 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 find, you know, the little communities and find this person and find that person. And so he's the one that knows everybody and he's the one that they're all relying on to, to, to help them stop whatever's going on. And in City Primeval, that has been flipped. He has been sent to Detroit where he doesn't know anybody and he doesn't know the stuff. And he's having to rely on the local police there to do mm-hmm. what he did for the marshals and the local police in Kentucky. And he's not he's not enjoying that. And being in that position because he's finding that he can't necessarily trust the local Detroit police department. Oh. And, and that like, they might be, uh, as you, as you're moving to the series, you know, they, they might have their own agendas. And so I like that they're flipping that mm-hmm. on him. And, and in the original series, which is a fantastic series, if you've never seen it, and I know Tracy hasn't, uh, you I should a, go I check have, out. I have a disability where television is concerned. <laughs> I have uh, not it's, seen it's, it either. It's a wonderful show. It's in and, and and I love I do uh, like Timothy Elephant, so he plays a wonderful cowboy, right? And Raylan mm-hmm. is such a great character created by Elmore Leonard. Uh, and I, I always I always talk about dialogue. I am a, I'm a I'm a I'm a I love dialogue. I love the Gilmore girls, for example, is fantastic dialogue. Uh, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Same people made the two shows, so it's not surprising that the dialogue in that show is so great. The dialogue in Justified is also just fantastic. I love it. Okay. Uh, so uh, well worth it. And then City Primeval, good, good stuff. So it's it's there. It's ready. You can go watch it. That's my pick. Nice. Nice. Jacqueline, how about you? Uh, I'm going to go with a media pick as well um, and give a huge plug for Reservation Dogs. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've heard really good things about that. Uh, I think it is tremendous. Um, One of the best things I've seen on screen for a long time. And it gives a voice to indigenous culture that we have not heard. It has a few, you know, strong adult actors and then just this revelatory cast of young unknowns. And it's funny, it's wise, it's it feels important to me. 
Yeah. yeah. We actually watched an episode. I think there are only going to be three seasons and that's probably as it should be. And I really respect them for making that choice. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my partner, Julie, and I just watched one episode, Dear Lady, in the third season. And we had to stop and spend the rest of the night talking <laughs> after a half an hour of television. <laughs> And it's yeah. been a long time since something has hit that hard. And and Tracy, if you didn't know, that's uh, uh, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up pronouncing his name. Taika Waititi. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's that he's, he's, Yeah, they they co-created that and and produced that. It's a fantastic. Year. I I always go back to I love I love the uh, the spirit guide. That keeps showing up. Like I love him. I love. Uh, there, there's one episode in season one that I always go back to because um, it was just it was hilarious to me. But it's the the uncle that has the weed buried in his backyard and he wants to sell it and like no one wants it because they're like, you know, we have we have really a lot better weed these days. <laughs> <laughs> and, he can't, and they're they're like this is moldy and nasty and where'd you get oh it's been buried in my backyard <laughs> oh man that's a yeah, trip it's, just, it's a great and trip. the dialogue is really good yes. in that as well yeah yeah not yeah. rapid fire but no but it's it, it it's that dialogue that i like where where every character has their own voice and it's not just lines that are written and that are, that are being spoken by actors. Like they, they each have their own voice and that's, yeah, what's that's a really good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you know, if you, someone just handed you a script without characters tagged to it, you would have a pretty good idea of who said this exactly. in this situation. Yeah. Right. And yeah. that, and that goes back to Elmore Leonard because Elmore Leonard did not use character tags. Like he didn't use dialogue tags in his writing. Huh. So when there was a conversation, yeah. you, you just knew who was speaking based on, just the back and language. forth. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. I, um, I, as a writer, have a little bit of a problem with character dialogue tag addiction issues, which I've, you know, I've been trying to taper off, taking it real slow. Um, <laughs> as long as they're not constantly barking, guffawing. Right. <laughs> you know. Shrugging. Sighing. You know. Yeah. Every now and again, you just got to say to yourself, said's a thing. Like, it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> People could just say things or ask things or just maybe just say things without us being told that they're saying a thing. It could just be things that happen out of their mouth. <laughs> On the subject of uh, really crisp writing, one of the things that I'm doing in school this year is uh, my students, if they want to, can set up independent studies with different teachers. And I have a student who came to me uh, last spring wanting to set up a year-long independent study with me. And in specific, what she wanted to do was spend one semester kind of studying the structure of long-form fiction, like different sort of approaches to building stories and things and uh, different examples of it, and then take some of that knowledge from it and use it to help her get a solid start on her first novel. So um, I'd had this student before in creative writing. Sure, I'll, I'll do this with you. And so I had to sit down recently and make some decisions about books for her to read with me so that we could kind of do that work of discussing how, how does this thing get put together? Like what's the skeleton? What's the, the bones and the, the muscles and the organs and all of that? And uh, I had her describe to me the type of story she wants to get to telling by the time we're at that point. And so I knew right away. 
uh, some of the books that we needed to read together. So right now I'm doing a reread of uh, P. Jelly Clark's The Haunting of Tramcar 015, uh, which was actually a novelette published by Tor.com several years ago. It was one of his first significant publications. Uh, you can get it on Kindle. You can get it on uh, as an Audible short. You can get it uh, as, as a physical printed copy. And it's set in the world, uh, the same world as The Master of Jinn, uh, the book that he most recently published. Um, and uh, it's set in this sort of elaborate alternative history version of um, Cairo in the early part of the 20th century, around like 1912 or so. And in this world, we have the genie who have sort of arisen and been awoken uh, several decades before in Egypt and have kind of uh, created a partnership with the Egyptian people and some of the surrounding uh, tribal communities and, and ethnic communities that allowed them to repulse the uh, various white colonialist forces that had been taking, taking up shop in Northern Africa. And so this is sort of a vision of what would a post-colonial Egypt look like if it had the benefits of technology sort of driven by the power of magic? And so The Haunting of Tramcar 015 is this really great um, novelette that explores a everyday problem written large in the world of this, this sort of like alternative history Cairo. Uh, we have a tramcar that's being haunted, which isn't usually something that happens. And so people from the Ministry of Paranormal Affairs have been sent out, which is sort of like if you combine a, you know, sheriff's office with, for instance, being a ghostbuster. And so that's sort of the framework of the story. And it's really tightly plotted and written, and it has really interesting character details and ways in which um, Clark has kind of set up the bone structure of the story so that there's not a wasted word in it. It's a really great, great read. Awesome. All right. Well, folks... That was an episode. Good job, us. <laughs> On a holiday weekend. I know, right? Despite all, there was so many dramas, dear listeners, trying to get this thing together because Zencaster <laughs> really just hated all of us this morning and wanted us to know it wasn't a snit. So we're so glad that you stuck with us, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for being with us. Now that your your 7-Eleven tour has ended, where can people find you, find your cool stuff, um, and otherwise support your work? I've got one more event in Holland, Michigan at Blue Oh, Stuff. I love Holland. It's adorable. <laughs> Antique Verdange on uh, Saturday, September 17th, I think. Nice. Um, otherwise, pretty much any bookstore, support your favorite indie. You can get them from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, the usual stuff. your local library, order them and stock them for you. Yes. Absolutely. What's your website, Jacqueline? Oh, um, JacquelineCarry.com. And you can also find me as author on Instagram and the former Twitter, <laughs> whatever it is. I'm on yeah. TikTok and Facebook as well. Uh, that is going to be like the artist formerly known as Prince of it's, of media yeah. for yeah. It's, it's interesting <laughs> that if you if you read articles where they 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 are talking about someone saying something 
on that site, they say X and then they have to add formerly known as Twitter because people don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> well, the URL is still Twitter. So, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's just hilarious. Uh, well, we hope you have a great time in Holland and thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. Have a fabulous holiday weekend. Absolutely. All good things. Here we are at the end again. But there's some stuff you should probably know before you go. First, consider heading over to beyondthetrope.com and checking out their podcast. It's a lot of fun. Giles and Michelle have been around for nearly a decade now, I think, having fun chats with writers, artists, actors, and more. They put out a new episode every Tuesday and have something like 430 overall in the can, I think, as of this recording. It might be 431, I don't know. But that means there's plenty there for you to dive into. Second, if you liked this episode of The Functional Nerds, consider giving us a couple of stars on your favorite podcast platform or posting about this episode or any of our episodes on your favorite social media platform. Tell your friends about us. Have them come over. We would really appreciate that part. If you buy a book mentioned on the podcast, let us know on social media. Tag us. Tag the author. That's always so much fun and it really, really drives home that we help sell books every once in a while. Now, if you really, really, really enjoyed this episode, you could head over to patreon.com slash functional nerds and give us a couple of bucks. I mean, that helps to keep the lights on. We like that. It's kind of hard to podcast in the dark. You can get access to some cool stuff like a pretty engaged and vibrant super secret Facebook group, a monthly virtual hangout, or even an extra episode. It's called the Just Us episode of the podcast, and it's exclusively at this point for our Patreon backers. So if you just want to hear Tracy and I talk about stuff, that might be where you need to go. Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel! Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise! <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? <laughs> okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I really love what you do," I'm like. I'm sorry, do you know who I, like, I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.